Hello, everybody. It's May 15th, and this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, because the opportunities to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ are inevitable. This is the One Year Bible Tour podcast, and my name is David McAdam, and I'm happy to be with you and serve as your tour guide, highlighting important landmarks as we make our way through both the Old and New Testaments. We are in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament today. It was always God's intention to give Israel a king. It was God's intention to be their king. The very name Israel implies being ruled by God. God promised that there would come a man who would be the king of Israel. In fact, He would be the king of all kings. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, Jacob prophesied in the spirit of the coming king, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, meaning to whom it belongs, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The great sin of Israel was that instead of submitting to the rule of God as their king, and waiting on his promise for his chosen king, the Messiah, they insisted on the king of their choice, Saul. Moses predicted that Israel would have a desire for a king, and that God would concede, but that he would choose a man after his heart, anticipating Christ the king. Moses wrote in the law of God, When you enter the land which your Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, You shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 and 15. Today we meet David, who is called a man after God's heart, though he was just a poor shadow of what God anticipated in the promise of the Messiah. The book of 1 Samuel is the story of four men, Eli the priest, Samuel the prophet, Saul the first king, and David the second king. And David, though anointed as God's choice, is despised and rejected. In this regard, he becomes a prophetic picture of Christ, the Messiah. In the final analysis, all of these men in 1 Samuel prove to be failures, with some failing more than others. This reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glorious ideal that God has in mind for humankind, that we would function as mirrors reflecting His true character. Where the race of the first man, Adam, fails, the race of the second man, Christ, succeeds. In Christ, we have the perfect character and rule of God expressed. We behold the glory of God in Him, full of grace and truth. The failures of the priestly office of Eli, the prophetic office of Samuel, and the royal office of Israel's kings only make the perfection of Christ's offices as priest, prophet, and king shine all the brighter. It is interesting to see how all four men fail particularly in managing their households, as in each case we see their failure with their children. May this remind us of the importance of our responsibilities as parents. How refreshing it is to meet David in the book of 1 Samuel. We will see him as shepherd boy, courtier, musician, friend, and fugitive. So without any further introduction, let's pick up where we left off yesterday in 1 Samuel starting with chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephes-Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, 
and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? 
I know your presumption and the evil in your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. 
And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Chapter 18 As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. This concludes the reading from today's portion from the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have read. The shepherd, David, was voted the least likely to succeed by his family members. When it came to finding a man who had a heart that was akin to God's heart, David was the Lord's top choice. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. We read this again in the book of Acts in the New Testament, Acts chapter 13, verse 22. He, that is God, raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he had testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. As we track David's story in the book of 1 Samuel, some of the characteristics of the kind of attitude that pleases God begin to emerge. David is far from perfect and will sin grievously against the Lord on several occasions, but the overall direction of his heart's motivation is to steadfastly behold the beauty of the Lord, to honor Him as His perfectly righteous sovereign and the merciful forgiver of his sins. David seeks to live a life that will honor the name of the living God. David's heart is contrite, humble, reverent, respectful, trusting, loving, devoted, discerning, faithful, obedient, repentant, courageous, and full of praise and thanksgiving. In our New Testament reading today, we see a far more perfect example of the kind of heart that pleases God. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 29, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In 1 Samuel 16, we were given a hint as to David's skills and character. He was given this commendation. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18, Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. He is faithful in discharging his responsibilities, obedient to his father, and alert in tending his father's flocks and caring for his brothers. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 17 through 20 and verse 22. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see David's heart for the honor of the one true living God. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. 
And then in verse 45 we read, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. David, like the greater David we read about in the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth, is misunderstood by his brothers as he takes on the task of defending God's honor. Goliath is called a champion. He had his trail of successes. He was a warrior from his youth, in verse 33. He had his stature. He was nine feet, nine inches. He had his strength, bearing 125 pounds of heavy armor, plus his weaver beam-sized spear shaft and its 15-pound spear head. He had the advantage of Philistine technology, weapons of metal. He had an intimidating personality, boasting and taunting for 40 days with bullying bravado. David's trail of successes is a hidden one. He has successfully defended his father's flock by killing a mountain lion and a bear. His stature is nothing to brag about. He is considered an inexperienced youth. His weapons, only five stones and a slingshot. Goliath mocks him and his inferior weapons. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? David refuses to wear Saul's armor. Saul was the only one who had access to Philistine-manufactured iron. David stuck to his proved weapons rather than those he was not familiar with, and that did not fit. His confidence was in the Lord who had given him his successes, his strength, his stature, and his slingshot and stones. The wager of this battle is significant. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 8, he, Goliath, stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. 1 Samuel 17, 8 and 9. David and Goliath stood on the battlefield as two representative men. We see in the Bible that there are two representative men, Christ and Adam. The first man, Adam, failed when facing the enemy in Genesis chapter 3. The second man, Christ, will succeed where Adam failed. His victory is credited to all who believe on him. Rather than two armies fighting it out, we see two men fighting it out. Jesus is the one man. He is the one who stands for us in the battle against the enemy. He stands in for us as our representative in the cross. He became one of us, taking on human flesh to be our representative, the Son of Man. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Not only is David a type of the shepherd king to come, the greater David, Jesus Christ, in this battle he is a type of the believer. David has one slingshot. It is his proven instrument, faith in Christ and his gospel. He is freely given what he needs, five small stones. Five is the number for grace. He defeats the enemy with one well-targeted stone that strikes the enemy, Satan, dead center in the head. Christ is the rock in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, who has crushed the head of the enemy, 
in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The accuser of the brethren is cast down. Through Christ's perfect work on the cross, sin is atoned for, Satan is defeated, and the believer is no longer a slave to the enemy, but a son of God, an adopted son or daughter of God with the legal rights of an heir. As the result of David's victory, the Israelites are no longer bound to be slaves to the Philistines. As the result of the greater David's victory, we are no longer in bondage to fear of our enemies, sin, Satan, and the fear of death. Goliath is killed by the stone, Christ, but the believer is called to personally decapitate the already slain enemy in his or her experience with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Some have asked why Saul did not recognize David, the one who had played the harp in his household when he was on the battlefield with Goliath, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 58. First, he was seeing the boy in an unfamiliar context. Perhaps Saul was not that familiar with part-time staff members in his household. Saul may not have bothered to get to know him. Secondly, and most credibly, since the battle wager involved Saul giving his daughter as bride to the victor and the promised relief of taxes to his family, Saul would have had a good reason to make a fresh official inquiry about David and his family. As a result of this victory, David is now further established in the household of Saul. Jonathan, Saul's son, would become David's brother-in-law. Both Jonathan and David had a number of things in common. They both had reverence for God, exhibited courage, and acted in wisdom. In Jonathan, David would find a soul companion. Now let's go to our reading in the New Testament, John chapter 8, verse 21 through verse 30. Our passage begins with Jesus speaking. Verse 21. So he, that is Jesus, said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, Many believed in him. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament passage from the Gospel of John. Once again, the Pharisees misunderstand Jesus' words about his going away and their inability to find him in the future. They don't perceive that Jesus is talking about his impending death, burial, resurrection, and subsequent ascension into heaven. If a person does not believe upon him and the efficacy of his saving work on the cross, they remain in their sins and will not be able to spend eternity with him. 
Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. John chapter 8, verse 24. Jesus implies that His resurrection after He is lifted up on the cross will prove that He is sent from His Father and is a faithful witness to His Father. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. What a testimony! He is the perfect embodiment of a God-pleasing life. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, Psalm 111, verses 1 through 10. Praise the Lord! I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This psalm begins with the Hebrew word Hallelujah, translated Praise the Lord. The psalm is written with the form of an acrostic. Each line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This special style of writing proved to help people memorize the psalms. Other psalms written with an acrostic style are Psalm 9, 10, 24, 34, 37, 119, and 145. The psalm gives four specific guidelines for maintaining the blessing of the Lord when facing difficult situations. Number one, praise the Lord, in verse one. Number two, remember God's great works, in verses two through six. Number three, rely on God's word, in verses seven through nine. Number four, obey His will, in verse ten. Now we turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15 Verse 11. Shale and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. The author of this proverb utilizes the literary device of arguing from the lesser to the greater, using the phrase, how much more. If God knows every secret of hell, how much more he knows what is in each and every human heart. Now let's pray together. Father, you have given us the victory through your Son. Help us to remain strong in the power of His might. Help us to accurately wield the sword of the Spirit and cut off any design of the enemy. Give us the heart of a psalmist who will sing of your mercies forever. We thank you for your word and the grace to heed it. May we bring forth the fruit of obedience as those who are men and women after your heart. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that this day finds you shouting hallelujah, praise be to the Lord for all the great works that He has accomplished and the good things that He is doing today. 
We are grateful to have this opportunity to share the Word together. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can go to our website, newlife.org. And we also encourage you to invite others to join us in the adventure of daily Bible reading. If you would like a written copy of today's commentary, you can get one by subscribing at our website. Also, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at newlife.org. So until next time, may the presence of our great Shalom be with you.